Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch uh, with me, Julieta Televi. And joining me this evening are David Shapiro from Assessment Securities and Wayne McCurry from F&B Wealth and Investments, completely unplayable as they always are. And if you'd like to send us questions, please SMS 41392, uh, 4, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. David, Wayne, good evening to you both. You know better than to start nattering at the start of the show. Um, but David, I'll begin with you this evening. Not a great day for the markets. The dollar is completely rampant. Um, and actually, the, uh, let's just start with a question uh, that a viewer sent, because I think we're all a little bit confused. He said, what are the indicators that show that the selling is coming to an end? This is where we are right now. <laughs> it, it, it's very difficult to pick it up. I think what does give you a clue, if you start to look at the number of put options or the the positioning of uh, a lot of uh, fund managers, you'll see that it's excessive. And it's probably at the same levels that we saw in March 2020. So that's always a sign that, you know, whoever wants to be out is probably out. But on the other hand, uh, without laboring it, there's nothing to drag people in. You know, there's nothing at the moment to draw people in to actually start buying. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a barrage of bad news higher oil prices, higher food prices. Uh, even when we get good news on the, on the labor front, like we saw yesterday with job openings and also consumer confidence, everybody just gets scared. They say, oh, God, that's the last thing that we want the Fed to do. All it's going to do now is make them a lot more grumpier and stamp their feet harder. So they say, well, you know, so, so good news is actually very bad news. So it, it's difficult to see your way through at the moment. I mean, Wayne, this seems to be what you have spoken about repeatedly in the past few months is that it's sort of peak bad news where um, everything, the world is coming to an end and everything is catastrophic and there's nothing positive on the horizon, which may be the time to start actually looking at stocks, to buy them, not to Correct, sell them. Correct, yes. Correct. I mean, we have spoken about it. We're in a bear market. I mean, this last rally we saw up until last week was, in our, sort of in, our, in our view, a bear market rally. And it's quite possible we go back and test the lows that we saw, you know, prior to this 10 or 15% upwards movement in the market. So we'll go back to where we were two months ago, whatever the time scale is. Um, I don't think this is a problem. And, you know, We've, as I've said before, we've spoken about this extensively. How can you get a serious stock market rally when inflation is at seven, not at three, at seven, eight, nine, ten? And yeah. interest rates are going up. I mean, the market was just way too optimistic about inflation falling. But to be optimistic now, there's two things. First of all, we might get an opportunity again to buy shares at a decent price. And secondly, inflation will fall, and it will fall quite heavily in the second half of next year, if not before. And interest rates will fall in the second half of next year again, when some sort of equilibrium has been reached with inflation between 2 and 4%, and interest rates will also go back to 2 and 4%, then we're back to a normal equity environment. Mm. So, you know, if the market does fall now, it actually will be a time to buy. But just to answer the question... You know, no one rings a bell. Mm. You know when it's turned after it's turned. Yeah. And just maybe a question on, and I was reading an FT article on the energy crisis in Europe, um, and, and it quoted the Belgian um, energy minister who was saying, 
you know, we, we've got this huge increase in electricity prices, even though electricity is being produced as cheaply as it was last year or the year before. And, and then I thought, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on. So you've got these kind of crazy gas prices, this bizarre electricity market in Europe. I mean, is, is, it, is it there a broken mechanism in Europe that can be fixed? In other words, the, elect, the electricity prices, the, there's some sort of weird dysfunction between gas prices and electricity prices. And if that dysfunction is resolved, you'll see inflation fall quite precipitously. Or are yeah. all bets off, and and uh, and and it's going to be like this for for at least the next six to twelve months. Look, it's it's. I mean, six to twelve months. Who knows? That that's very very short term as far as markets are concerned. Europe is obviously a very unique case because of this gas in Russia and and the the, the war and everything. But people are very resilient. You make a plan. When prices are so high, other supply comes on stream. You alter how you live. You alter what energy you use. And with the world going into some sort of slowdown and quite likely a recession because of these high interest rates, prices don't go up in that environment. Prices go down. And when you look at the price of oil, the price of food, the price of commodities, these have all already turned down and turned down quite strongly. So, you know, I know it grabs a headline, UK inflation going to 18. If these current trends continue, it's not going to 18. It's going exactly the opposite way, and it's going down. Mm. David, however... Well, do that, I, mm, yeah. I, I think the one thing that I can't quite get a grip on is why there's this obsession with 2%. You know, why it has to be 2%. Instead of well, saying... Inflation. Even, yeah, inflation, sorry. We're at seven or eight percent. We're going to get it down to four or three or two. You know, in other words, give you some kind of progression of where we'll be. But you know, you've got every Fed governor now, and all of a sudden, you've got this almost orchestra. You know, of, of governors coming out of the same. You know, we wanted a two percent, and I mean, for an economy, uh, it, it's just crazy to try and get to that uh, at fast speed. And I think this is what's really disturbing markets as well. We don't mind if it comes down slowly. We'll yeah. adapt. You know, we'll adapt to these circumstances. But they don't want people to get too comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, Neil Kaskari, whatever his name is, uh, was talking about in Inferno. He has a big governor talking about Infernos. You know, this is, this is like, you know, who talks like that as a big governor? He's supposed to be grumpy and do a... And, and, and sort of impenetrable. And even celebrating when the market took a knock on Friday. Yes, you see, you know, the market's finally listening to us. I said, hold on a sec. <laughs> You're a banker. <laughs> Just be a banker. <laughs> Well, I mean, I have one, just maybe two points. Of course, no one's listening to us, but I, I feel like the obsession with 2% was when they didn't have any inflation at all. So 2% was like the holy grail of inflation for the yeah. America, Americas. Um, and also, why not exactly, as you say, have a target range of between 3 and 6%, like we do? Then, you know, you give, give yourself a bit of wiggle room. But anyway, who, these are the unknowable things of central bankers' minds. Um, so let's just move on to questions um and there's a question on old mutual 
Um, and the question is, a number of years, perhaps decades ago, Old Mutual was a prominent name on the JSE and the South African economy per se, but I cannot recall when last any analyst or fund manager spoke of them as a stock pick or in any way positively. Looking at their share price, it's gone south over five years. The results out yesterday, the share price down, what, over 8% and another, what, 3% today? What has happened to this business? What realistic growth prospects can they possibly have? Uh, Sunlum's share price, for that matter, is also south over years, um, over five years, the panelist's view on Old Mutual. Um, Wayne. Look, Old Mutual, on the face of it, when, when you look at it just at very raw valuation numbers, it looks seriously cheap. But that's assuming that it's going to go back to, let's call it, previous levels of profitability. But you look at their results, you can take quite a few companies, Momentum Metropolitan's one, where you're coming off the low base from all the COVID provisions and everything, and profits jump enormously. You know, really high profit numbers. Old Mutuals didn't. You know, what happened that they didn't follow all the other life companies sort of on the post post covid recovery and the reversal of excess provisions and all of that mm. and that's why the share price has just been i mean properly punished in the last few days mm. david i mean you know so the figures that they highlighted which um it's easy to get sucked into them and you think okay well gross premiums were up nine percent they and uh, the new business uh, margin was at 2.2%, though only slightly down. The life sales were up 15%. And you think, okay, that all looks great. And then you look at the headline earnings, it's down 7%. The net uh, client cash flows are down 7%. The assets under management are down. Um, I mean, did you get a sense from them that they, they know why things have turned south and that they are working to change things? I think they're really battling to, to get momentum up there. You know, if you look at their share price um, from the time that they went overseas in 1998 or thereabouts, it looks like the Comrades down run. You know, it's just like all the way working their way down from Peter Maritzburg all the way to Durban. Uh, no, no upward. And they made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, um, from Scandia to even in 1998 buying uh, right at the top of the market a whole lot of asset managers. So it's been a company that... And finally, uh, Boardman got it right. And who, uh, I think it was Boardman. Who was the team that? No. no. Sorry, I'm getting. Was um, it Boardman? Tom Boardman was with Nedbank. Yeah. Are you thinking of Julian Roberts? Sorry. Jim Sutcliffe? No, there's someone else who, who kind of got it back to where it is today. You know, uh, having uh, Was it Paul? Um, I'm, I'm getting a bit mixed up with who was, who was responsible for getting it into the shape that it is at the moment. Now they've got to start building up again and getting the, their, their name back. This is a company with over 150 years you know, in, in the market. It's a massive, massive name, but it just, it just can't get it. And then we had the, the problems of management um, earlier on. So, you know, Ian Williamson's a good man um, and, and just give him a chance. But, I mean, looking at the results, it was, oh, we're doing well, but we're doing okay here, yeah, but, you know, and so on. Tone was really apologetic. But, but would you take a punt on them if they're at 10 bucks? Um, I mean, I seem to recall that in the midst of the financial crisis, they went down to about 2 rand 70, 2 rand 80. Am I 
So actually, if you think about what they've done since then, it's not a great recovery. Yeah, but then, then they, had, they had all of those problems that they got overseas. I mean, this company was on its knees because of their overseas endeavors and all the policies they wrote in America. But, you know, just coming back to the, to the financials, even though the annualized, annualized premium is up 15%, the value of new business is down 4 In other words, they wrote a lot of business, but it wasn't profitable business. Eh? Because in other words, it doesn't matter how much business you write. It's actually the value of new business that's truly the important thing. Okay, so you would all steer clear of old mutual at this point? No, surprisingly enough not. I think if you're oh, a deep value okay. manager, now's the time to possibly go in because there is huge turnaround potential in profits here. I mean, massive turnaround potential in profits here. There's a question on SAPI. Uh, speaking of shares that have been under pressure, why SAPI has such a bad week? It seems much worse than the average, says the viewer. David. I, who knows of SAPI? We don't know from one quarter to the next. Um, whether they, how they're doing, but um, I, you know, and 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 I'm trying to recall. I'm trying to get my mind back to the last quarter where they were. But it's always a company that's either facing increased costs or, or you know, some other issue in the uh, in, in in the in the paper industry. It's a notoriously difficult industry. I think that's why we to just to divert it a bit. Uh, Wayne might know more. That's why we go for somewhere like Mondi, where it's much easier to read um, where they're going and, and you know which area they're in. Remember, Sappy's still in fine papers, which is still a difficult area to be yeah. in. I know they're on the, the Visco side and uh, that side, but it's still a very small part of their business. Yeah, um, I haven't got a great feel for it at the moment. Although, having said that, uh, Mondi has also been under pressure. And actually, SAPI has been quite a few people's stock picks, sort of deep value stock picks of late. Yes. Um, Wayne, any thoughts as to why in particular yeah. they've come off? I mean, this in the, the last week, who knows? That, uh, that I've got no clue. But on a deep value side, this does actually look seriously cheap. I mean, it's a very low valuation. The share price is not as low as it was after lockdown, but the share price... You know, looking at it going back over time, is actually still very, very low. But the volatility of earnings, as David was saying, mm. is one of the worst on the JSE. I mean, you just can't predict and you can't forecast what's going to happen with the earnings. And the market they're in is not as high a quality market as what Mondi is in. Yeah. I mean, I know that they've done a lot to reduce their fine paper. I mean, that virtually bankrupted the company when... Eugene went overseas in the late 90s and then they carried on buying and buying. You know, it's like opening up a magazine nowadays. You know, you, you, it's just not the right time to do it. But yeah, but at a deep value bar, why not? Yeah. It looks cheap enough, to be honest. Okay. And, and, um, and, and to their credit, the last, I don't know, six or seven quarters actually have been progressively better, yeah. which is, which is a, a rare anomaly, as you say, in, in, in Sappy's life. But maybe that is the, the new trend. Um, speaking of sort of uh, stocks that are perplexingly under pressure, there's a question on British American Tobacco. And the viewer says the South African general manager said in an interview on Cape Talk that 70% of cigarette sales in South Africa are illicit, a hangover from the COVID ban on cigarettes. If so, is British American Tobacco a share to avoid or are they still viable with a 30% legal market share? Look, South Africa is 1% of their market. They're, not, they're very... They're there's so, no involvement here, yeah. 
it's so small it doesn't even matter. But actually, but I mean, legal, the legal cigarettes matter. I mean, I mean that's a huge market, but I mean it comes as a surprise. I mean, it, it, it's rather odd that everybody is surprised by this because I mean you can see the packets lying over on the side of the roads. You know, I've never heard of these brands before. <laughs> And how they find oh, that's great. I don't know. Look, and how they look, find look their the, way. Look, the, 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 the reality, obviously, the COVID ban boosted illegal cigarettes, mm. but it probably boosted it from 65% to 70 mm. Mm. And in fact, illegal <laughs> cigarettes, I think, is something that they combat, uh, okay, maybe more, uh, most particularly in South Africa, but it's throughout their business. This is a, this is a problem throughout the business. Um, but your thoughts well, on British American tobacco? You know, it's collecting the tax on those things. I mean, it's a huge issue. Hmm. So, and, and a lot of tax revenues go there. You know, the two biggest collections are, are cigarettes and uh, liquor. So, you know, if you can't collect them, if they're legal, I don't know how they sold. I don't know how they get them into the market. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm not a cigarette buyer, so I don't know. I, don't. I mean, uh, Wayne, in the past, you have been a fan of British Mink Tobacco, partly for uh, for its incredibly strong cash flows and its dividend. Would that still be yeah. a, a thesis for you? Yes. Yes, very much so. I mean, I know the share price on a five-year basis actually hasn't done, it's actually down slightly. And it has revived itself, you know, over the last, oh, the last six months, eight months or so. But it's still a good dividend payer with a very, very strong cash flow. And when you read their statements, this move to new types of smoking, vaping, and heat not burn, and that is actually getting a little bit of traction. And despite the fact that actual cigarette volumes have been in decline for a sustained time period and will continue to be in decline, on their premium brands, they're actually getting quite nice margin increases. Okay. You know, South Africa is, I mean, it's hard to run a portfolio here because, you know, I was looking at Sun International's numbers. And they're doing wonderful on the sports betting and so on. And then you've got British American Tobacco and then you've got ABM there, but then a booze and, and everything. And you say, well, where does this fit in with uh, ESG? You know, how do we ever explain it? Then we've got Sassel who burns you know, foul air. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm not sure where, uh, uh, where we fit into all of the, uh, the ESG um, Definitions. It, mm, yes, I, I'm not um, sure anyone. Well, I'm not sure anyone uh, really knows where anything fits into an ESG definition. If you look at um, arms manufacturers <laughs> suddenly fitting into it's into the the ESG basket of things. Okay, there's a question on Kumba. Could the panel please give their view on Kumba Iron Ore and how much down, downside we could still expect, considering that the Chinese uh, uh, the Chinese property crisis and lockdowns. The shares down roughly 45% in February. Is it time to start maybe? nibbling on the share again uh wayne uh the answer is no yeah i think there's more downside on on kumba but it's normal downside this is just a down cycle you know so don't get don't don't get terrified about share prices going down this is a commodity company mm. remember during the terrible years 2015 it got into the 20s you know it fell from 600 to 20. now i don't think that's going to happen again but it, this share can easily fall another 20 or 30% from these levels. And not because of China and the housing, the global economy is going to come under pain in the next six months to a year. And a commodity-driven company like Kumba will come under pain as well. But then, if you're lucky enough and the share price does fall quite a bit, then you can buy it, but not now. 
there's still more pain to come probably from all commodity shares, yeah. if not all shares. Okay. Yeah, I mean... BHP's results, they, the average price that they got for iron ore was in the 130, 140. I think the cost of bringing it out was like $10. I mean, they're making huge, huge amounts of cash. The problem is that the market looks for growth. So even at $90 where iron ore is at the moment, or 92, they're still making money. You know, they're not making as much money as they made before, but it's not that they're losing. They still have massive margins um, and still a huge cash generation, but the market always looks for growth and expects growth in dividend. But I agree with Wayne. I think just hold on. The Chinese hold the key to that iron ore price, and, and one doesn't know where they are. One has no idea what's happening in China either. I mean, you must remember, as we said, this is a commodity company. It's down from 800 to 370. Eh? Mm. Yeah, they, they, yeah, this is what they do. This is what they do. I mean, it's not very comforting to know that it's not quite 20, 20 odd rand, but, uh, you know, having halved, you know, if you bought it 800, you're not, you know, you're probably. Well, then you're taking your pain. Then, then you are first hand experiencing a commodity down cycle. Mm. Hopefully, you bought Sassel at the same time at 30 rand and you're at sort of 300, so you've averaged yourself out. Um, there's a question on 91. Is it undervalued at the current price and is it a buy? Is it undervalued relative to its net asset, net asset value? David, is it undervalued or is it just this is a proxy for the market, as I've, I've said it's, a couple of other shares it's are? It's an asset manager. You know, and if we grumpy, if Wayne and I are grumpy and moaning about the market, can you imagine how they feel? You know, uh, unless they're selling some other funds, which could be fixed asset funds. But even the fixed asset, sorry, even the interest rate funds are, are coming under uh, a huge amount of pressure. There has been nowhere to hide from commodities to property to equities. Uh, it's been a very, very difficult year. So as Old Neutral said, if you looked in their, uh, in their numbers, you know, assets under management came down. But that was largely because of markdowns of markets. So it's not an easy time. And they rely heavily on fees. And a lot of those attached to, you know, to, gain, to, to, to profits. Yeah. Okay. Just moving on very quickly. Um, sorry, and to stick with you, David. Sorry, Wayne. Um, please ask David which ETF he punted last week. It involved lithium-ion batteries. It was the an ETF. Global X, yeah. The Global X. Okay. The Global X battery and lithium. It's, it's, yeah, I still like it. Okay, because someone else said, I'm up 20% on this ETF and wondering if this is a good time to buy more. Well, it's lithium, you know, it's, it's all the lithium miners and all the battery producers. And uh, there's a shortage, you know, China, China controls it and America's got to do something. So I still think it's the, the best way to play electric vehicles at the moment. Okay. Wayne, very quickly, a last question before we get to your stock pick. Um, uh, this question on famous brands, just a general question mark. Would you be buying it now? Yes, I think there's, despite the economic downturn, despite all of these, they're actually the quick service restaurants and all of their business things are seem to be doing extremely well. And the customer base that they serve doesn't seem to be taking so much pain. You can look, as David said, look at the... Chorgo's Sun, look at the Sun International, or Chorgo's now becoming Southern Sun. Look at look at all, all these results. They're not bad, eh? Mm. So, yeah, I would actually buy famous brands now. So, you'll still pay the same price for a steak. It might be half the size, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your steak has... Half the chips, yeah. <laughs> your steak has suffered the ravages of shrinkflation. <laughs> Um, Instead of four jobs, you get three. You know that's fine. Yeah, and, and food inflation is going to come down quite quite seriously, uh, I think, over the next year. Mm. 
Okay. Well, I shall get to your stock picks now. Um, Wayne, uh, Motus is your pick. Came out with results today. Why do yeah. you like it? Look, look, I know they're coming off a low base on results because obviously it was affected by COVID and that. But it's just the sheer price of the share. I mean, this thing is low single-digit price earnings ratio. I know they paid a special divvy last year and the dividend's down 60-70% uh, over, over, over the year. But, you know, you're still getting a half-decent dividend yield. And I know we're going into a slowdown and I know the economy is going to slow down. So motor vehicles will slow down and interest rates are going up, so that will slow down. But the core rental side seem to be doing quite well. The tourist numbers into the country are actually, quite frankly, exploding. So that's very good. But it's a sheer price. This is a deep value buy. Mm. Okay. Okay. David, how about you? I'm, I'm going for RSA stock. I think it's held up. The long end has held up remarkably well. And even against all the pressure that we're seeing. And every day we get some negative news on on. Uh, you know, on, on, on South Africa today, it was the current, not uh, the trade numbers are not where they were, and so on. It's a, and yet, those numbers hold. You're still getting. I look at the two hundred three fives. It's thirteen years out. It's just beyond ten. This is a ten and a half percent. Your premium yield. That's the actual yield you get. You know, without going into too much, um, trying to explain clean and the yield to maturity. But but that's the clean yield that you get. I, I still think that side is holding, even though you might get a lot of activity at the short end. I think the long end is just holding very, very strong. Yeah. So not a bad place to park, maybe not all of your money, but some of it certainly. And it's tradable. You know, people forget that you can trade bonds. You know, you're not stuck in for 13 years. You don't have to take a 13-year view. So um, I, I'm, I'm impressed. You know, some, I'm not a bond trader, but I watch that market every day. <laughs> You know, that's, a, that's an understatement that Shapiro is not a bond trader. <laughs> well, you've got to look for the rays of positivity, I suppose. Um, David Wayne, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us as always. David Shapiro is from Sassan Securities. Wayne McCurry is from F&B Wealth and Investments. And we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good evening.